All right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you here. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Ben. I'm one of the uh, pastors here, and we're just thrilled to have you. Thanks for making River Glen part of your weekend. We're week number four of this series called Finding Your Way Back to God. And um, I can almost guarantee you, you know, if we were to just kind of uh, show up at your house, uh, where, you know, whatever, wherever you live, and uh, took a sneak peek in there, we'd probably see some symbols of success. You know, we all have these. Maybe you've got uh, in your hallway or in a home office, maybe you've got a framed certificate or diploma indicating academic success or professional success, or maybe in a family room, you've got some ribbons or trophies representing musical success or athletic success. Maybe out of the garage, you've got an antique car, a luxury car, a show car indicating financial success. All of us have symbols of success, but probably something you won't see displayed in every home are symbols of failure, and we all have some of those too, but we keep them hidden, you know, in the closet, in the basement, in the, in the garage, in a file cabinet somewhere, maybe up in the attic. You've got, you know, an old wedding ring, some old wedding photos right next to a divorce certificate, reminding you of a failed uh, marriage. Maybe in the back of a file cabinet, you've got some stationery, some old business cards reminding you of a failed business. Maybe in the back of a closet, you've, you've got some bankruptcy papers reminding you of a financial failure. All of us have some, some failures. We display our successes and we hide our failures. And many of us go through life just haunted by our past, haunted by our failures, and we carry guilt and shame. And, you know, we don't want anybody to know about our failures because if they think we, they, we think if they knew who we really were, then, you know, they couldn't accept me. They couldn't love me. Maybe you cheated and got caught. Maybe it was uh, the DUI or the abortion, or all the sexual encounters that, that haunt you. Maybe you were not only the victim of abuse that you hated, maybe you grew up and became what you despised, an abuser yourself. Maybe at certain settings, you know, you've introduced yourself as, hi, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic, or it's the drugs, or the porn, and you've allowed that label to stick with you, and you've allowed it to define you and determine who you are. But the Bible says that through the amazing grace, the amazing love of Jesus Christ, we become a new creation with a new identity. Take a look here at what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were therefore buried with him, buried with Jesus through baptism into death. In other words, you know, we're not that old person anymore. You know, that old person is gone. We buried it with Jesus in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. God doesn't want our past to define us. He wants to make us something new. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27 says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. That's, that's who you are. You've put on Christ. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? And that's how God sees you. And yet many of us, you know, live our lives like we're in the jail cell all the time while God has the door wide open. And, you know, many people, even people who find their way back to God, go through life with this false sense of identity that I'm not worthy. I'm not loved. I'm not accepted. Now, throughout this series, we've retraced the story of the prodigal son, and we've learned that it's really the story of five awakenings, five alarms, five wake-up calls that everybody goes through to find their way back to God. Awakening number one is this awakening to longing. Deep inside, all of us have this longing for purpose, for meaning, for love, and we say there's got to be more to this life. And it was that longing that caused this young son to go to his father and say, Dad, I want my inheritance. I wish you were dead 
so that I could have my inheritance. And he takes this inheritance, and this longing sends him way off to a distant country, to a distant land, with parties and prostitutes. And it leads to the second awakening, which is regret, where he feels regret about trying to fulfill his longings on his own. And we say, you know, I wish I could start over. I wish that I could begin again. If only I hadn't done that. If only... I hadn't lost my temper. If only I hadn't allowed the conversation with him or with her to cross an inappropriate line. If, if, if only I had controlled my words, then instead I let it explode. If only I could start over. And this leads us into the fourth awakening that we're going to talk about, or excuse me, the third awakening, which is help, where we take a turn and we head in God's direction and we say, finally, I realize I can't do this on my own. Now, I don't think I've ever quoted Justin Bieber, you know, before on a weekend. And, uh, you know, maybe I should quote him more often, but he was interviewed recently by a magazine, and he said something. I thought it made a lot of sense, and it's about Christianity. Here's what he says. He says, all the healing we try to do for ourselves is unnecessary because we have the greatest healer of all, and his name is Jesus Christ. He really heals. This is it. If we can understand that, that we're all imperfect, let's come to God and come for his help, he says. You're not weak by doing that. I think it's a common misperception of Christians that you're weak because you can't handle it. And then he says, none of us can handle this world, dude. It's eating us alive. And uh, I think he's right, dude. And this awakening to help turns us in the direction where we head toward God and we discover that help has a name and his name is Jesus. But sometimes even after we come home, we forget that we're part of a family. We forget That God has made us into a new person with a new identity. And this brings us to awakening number four that we're going to talk about today. This awakening to love. Where where we say, God loves me. I realize God loves me deeply. After all, that's, that's, that's who you are. And I've been praying that this concept that this awakening would just land deeply in your soul today. I'm praying that, that, that many of you are going to get a little wild and a little bit crazy today. And that before you leave this place today, you're going to find yourself clothed with Christ, baptized into Christ, celebrating your new identity. I'm praying that, that, that many of you, you know, that didn't plan on getting wet uh, uh, today are going to get a little crazy, going to get a little wet today, right over here in the uh, waters of baptism and go home with a new sense of your identity. Wouldn't that be a great reason to celebrate uh, uh, today and, and throw a party this morning. So in this story about the prodigal son, we learned last weekend that the father is just looking out for his son, for his lost son every day, looking out and hoping that one day he'll return. And one day he sees him coming and he runs out to meet him. He hikes out his robe, sandals flopping, necklace jiggling. He runs to him, throws his arms around him and hugs him and kisses him. And he says, my son that was lost, is now found, and it's this powerful and dramatic moment. And yet, look at how this son responds to this amazing love, to this amazing grace. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And now this is after, okay? He's been welcomed and hugged and kissed by his father. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm no longer worthy. He breaks out into this speech that he's rehearsed, okay? Even after his father extends grace and mercy, even after his father hugs him and kisses him, the son's opinion of himself is that, is that he's not worthy because he hasn't caught up to his new identity. He says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be your son. 
I'm not worthy to be part of this family. It's almost as if shame is like a shadow that followed him home. And you know what? Sometimes shame can follow us home too. Shame casts a dark shadow on our future. Shame causes us to forget who we are and who we're becoming. Shame shame reminds us of who we were instead of who God is creating us uh, to be. You know, some of you you know that when I got started out as a pastor, I took my first job at a church in Kentucky. Started out as an intern and and, uh, the church invited people to sign up and help out the intern and uh, invite him over for dinner. So some people signed up. But one guy, his name was Roger, and uh, he owned a local restaurant called the Pizza Deli. He didn't sign up. Comes up to me and he says, hey, uh, I'm not going to sign up, but you, know, you and Marnie, just come on over to the Pizza Deli sometime, and I'll provide you guys uh, with a meal. And Roger said this to me several more times, and I thought, you know what, Roger's pretty serious about this. And so one day, Marnie and I decided to go over to the uh, pizza deli, and I walked in, you know, feeling all nervous because I didn't feel deserving, I didn't feel worthy, and I didn't see Roger any, anywhere, and uh, walked in, and the hostess said, can I help you? I said, yeah, we're Ben and Marnie, and Roger invited us over, and she said, Ben and Marnie, we've been waiting for you, and she took us over to our table, gave us menus, said order whatever you want, we ordered pizza, It was awesome, you know, she took care of the bill. And she said, Roger wanted me to tell you to come back once a week for as long as you want. And so Marty and I went back to the pizza deli again and again and again. I think we went back like 25 times and I gained like 15 pounds and you know, we tried everything on the on the menu, and it was, it was awesome. They even named a sandwich after me at one point. I mean, we come strutting in there, you know, once a week for our meal. We had our own table, but I knew that those meals, you know, were not based on my own merit. I knew they were based on the provision of another person, the provision of a very generous person. Listen, Jesus didn't die on a cross and walk out of a tomb to just leave you the same old person. He died to give you a new identity. He died to make you a new creation, not based on anything you do, but based on his provision for you on a bloodstained cross. And so this son, you know, he's still kind of shaking in his shame, saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father shouts to his servants, and he says, quick, You know, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And this young son's got to be thinking, the the robe, the ring, the sandals for me? You know, because these, these things were all very symbolic, very symbolic about the worth of the son. They had powerful meaning in that culture. For example, the robe symbolized rest. And think about this. He didn't just say bring the robe. He said bring the best robe which means bring my robe, not the old robe, not the bathroom robe, not the robe in the box ready to go to to Goodwill. Bring my best robe. I want to put my best robe on you as my son because you're home now. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You can rest. And And then the ring symbolized security. You know, all throughout history, when a king would hold out his ring, people would kiss the ring to say, you have authority, you have power. And I submit to you, presenting a ring to someone indicated that person had a high level of authority. And this was a sign from the father to the son 
that all I have is yours. In other words, you've got the family credit card now. You're broke, you're busted, but all I have is yours. And then the sandals symbolized acceptance. Back then, you know, the only people that wore sandals in the home were the homeowners. Slaves, hired hands, workers, servants, they went barefoot. And I would imagine the son comes home from a long journey from the far country, and he comes home broke and busted and barefoot. And that's why the father says, bring the sandals to him because he's not a servant. He's not a slave. He's a treasured son. That's, that's, that's who you are. That's your identity. And I love you. You know, it's as if he's, the father says, I'll decide how much I love you. You know, don't try to limit my love for, for you. Don't say I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be your son. Here's a robe. Here's a ring. Here's sandals that say, you are my son. You are part of this family. That's your new identity. Remember Galatians 3.27 says, all of you who were baptized into Christ, think about this now, have clothed yourself with Christ. You have a ring. You have a robe. You have sandals because you clothed yourself with Jesus. You know, if you're in Jesus, I want to take about 30 seconds right now and tell you who you are. Whose scripture says you are? Scripture says you are his child, his workmanship. You're his friend, his vessel, his witness, his ambassador, his instrument. You are chosen, forgiven, adopted. You're complete, sanctified, loved eternally. You are a light, a city on a hill. You're secure, more than a conqueror. You're healed, sheltered. You are constantly on his mind. You're at peace, favored. You are God-designed, significant. You're lavishly loved. You're a child of God. You're accepted. You are his. That's who you are. Do you, do you believe that? That's, that's who scripture says you are. For all who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so after giving his son the robe, the ring, and the sandals, the father throws this extravagant, unbelievable, over-the-top party. Look at what it says here in the next verse. The father says, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate because, you know, the best response when something valuable is lost and is found is to throw a party and celebrate. Remember, in the verses before this story, Jesus said that whenever someone turns around and heads in God's direction and repents, all of heaven throws a party in the presence of God among the angels. And so can I ask you, have you accepted your invitation to the party? Have you come to the party? You say, well, who's invited? Well, maybe you've noticed throughout the story, Jesus refers to this boy as the young, younger son. And so, you know, if there's a younger son, I mean, that has to mean that there is what? There is an older son. Yeah, an older brother. And uh, family, uh, birth order is an interesting subject. It's an interesting subject to study. Sometimes the older brother is very responsible. The older child is very responsible and, and looks out for the other kids. And sometimes you get down to the youngest and they're and they're spoiled. I'm curious, how many of you are the oldest child in your uh, family? Quite a few. How many of you are the uh, baby, the youngest? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's about half and half. I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest in, in the family I grew up in. Uh, I'm, I'm the baby. And a and, uh, little sympathy. Sometimes it's a little hard being the youngest, isn't it? Right? You agree? Yeah. You know, it's tough being the uh, youngest. We have three kids. 
in our home now. And uh, recently they went down to the basement and they dug out the old home videos when they were little. And so we put these in and we're watching a video. Uh, and, and we discovered that we have hours and hours and hours of a video of our two oldest kids, Taylor and Will. And we've got like five minutes of our youngest, uh, Ryan. And sometimes that's a tendency, isn't it? You know, uh, parents don't take much video or, or photos of the youngest because they've been through this before, uh, right? And uh, the poor youngest child, the baby can feel undervalued and underappreciated. Uh, but in the prodigal son story, it's the opposite. It's the older brother, the oldest brother that gets all bent out of shape about his value in the family. You know, he's the responsible one. He's not the one that went to the far country with his father's inheritance and blew it on wild living and and prostitutes. In fact, when the younger son comes home, he's the one who's out in the field working, doing what what you would expect a good son to do. And when he hears that his hard-partying, irresponsible little brother comes home and there's this over-to-the-top extravagant party, he's ticked off. He's miffed about that. And the father hears about it, and the father runs out to the older son, which which is interesting. The father ran out to meet the younger son. Now he runs out to meet the older son. And the the older son also has a speech that he's all uh, prepared uh, to give. And here's what the older son said. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me, look at this, a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you know, the little younger brother, the baby of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for for him. You know, in other words, you know, I'm the good one, and he gets the cow? You know, he gets prime rib? He gets gets ribeye? He gets T-bone? I don't even get a stinking goat? You know? Uh, You know, he says, I think I deserve... You know, the cow, I've earned it. And see, this is what keeps some people from accepting their invitation to the party. This is what keeps many people from finding their way back to God. It's not their badness, it's their goodness. It's their sense of self-righteousness, the sense of, I pay my taxes most of the time. You know, I don't cut people off in traffic, and when I do, I feel really bad uh, about it. And when you look at other people like the, like the younger brother, maybe you say, well, I feel a little better about myself. I feel pretty good about myself. At least I'm not that bad. And you go to God and say, God, you know what? I think I'm, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. I'm doing right things. I quit cussing most of the time. God, I think I deserve that goat now. But the Bible says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. And every one of us, every one of us needs the provision of another. Every one of us needs the provision of Jesus Christ, whether you're a rebellious sinner like the younger brother or whether you're a respectable sinner like the older brother. And so the father says to the older son, hey, this party is for you, this this fattened calf, it's for you. Come and join the party. But the Bible never tells us how the older brother responded. We never find out whether or not he went to the party. I was rereading this week about a guy who's a Christian writer on the East Coast, and he writes about this. He was staying in Hawaii one time, but his uh, body clock, his body timing was all messed up because he was still on East Coast time. And so he kept waking up in the middle of the night. One day he woke up at 3 a.m., and he just got up, and he went to a diner down the street, sat at the counter, and drank a cup of coffee. This group of ladies come in and sit right next to him at at the counter, and it was pretty obvious what their profession was, They were prostitutes. And one of them, the one right next to him, was named 
Agnes. And she said, she said hey, my, uh, tomorrow's my birthday to the other ladies. And one of the ladies, kind of with an edge, responded, well, what do you want us to bring you a cake? Do you want us to throw you a birthday party or something? And she said, oh, no, I've never had a birthday party all my life. That was Agnes. And they left. So this writer uh, who was there turned to the guy behind the counter. His name was Harry. And he said, do those ladies come in here every night? Harry said, yeah, every night, like clockwork. The writer said, here's what I want to do. I want to come back tomorrow night. And I want to throw a birthday party for Agnes. And uh, Harry said, okay. And uh, he called his wife up from the back. She came out. She said, oh, that's a great idea. You know, Agnes is, Agnes is so nice to everybody, but nobody ever does anything nice for her. This guy, the writer, said, if it's okay with you, I'd like to bring some decorations. I'll bring a birthday cake. And I'll come about 2.30 tomorrow night, and we'll decorate the place. And the guy behind the counter said, hey, no way. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll bring the cake. That's what I do. Let me take care of that. And, and so he writes this. He says, at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I picked up some decorations at the store and had made a sign out of big pieces of cardboard that read, happy birthday, Agnes. I decorated the diner from one end to the other. It had it looking good. The woman who did the cooking must have gotten the word out on the street, but because, because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. It was wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. <laughs> at 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready. I was kind of like the MC, And when they came in, we all screamed, happy birthday. Never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so stunned. Her mouth fell open. Her legs buckled. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her. And she was led to sit on one of the stools, and we all sang happy birthday to her. And we came to the end of the singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you. Her eyes moistened. And when the birthday cake with all the the candles uh, on it was carried out, she just lost it and cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm going to blow them out for you. And after a few seconds, he did. Then he handed her the knife and said, cut the cake, Agnes. We all want some cake. And Agnes looked at the cake, and then without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, is it okay with you if I keep the cake for a while? Is it all right if we don't eat, eat it right away? And Harry shrugged and said, sure, it's okay. Agnes said, I live just a few blocks away. Can I take it and show my mom? I'll I'll take the cake home and and be right back, I promise. The writer says she took the cake and picked it up and carried it out like it was the Holy Grail. Walked slowly toward, toward the door. We just stood there motionless. When the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. Not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems strange to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning but it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for salvation. I prayed her life would be changed, that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice, he said, said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? He said, in one of those rare moments when just the right words came to me, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And you know what? That's the kind of church Jesus came to create. You know, that's the kind of church River Glen is trying to be, and that's the kind of party heaven celebrates. I don't know where we get this idea that we've got to be all prim and proper in church. Anybody that reads the New Testament is going to find that Jesus came for responsible older brothers and irresponsible little brothers and sinners. It says notorious sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. That's who Jesus invites. That's who is invited to the party. And so today, 
Just like the, the father in the story threw a party, and just like heaven throws a party, we thought maybe the best way to end this message would be to throw a baptism party in this place. And if, if you're finding your way back to God, this is such an important step for you to take to affirm your new identity in Jesus, to be clothed with Christ in baptism. And today, if you're ready to embrace your new identity as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter, as a beloved child of of God, we want to throw a baptism party uh, for you, and we want to celebrate it right here, right now. I want you to watch this story, this video story, of some people from River Glen who are finding their way back to God. Take a look. Hi, I'm Ryan. And I'm Veronica, and I have been coming to River Glen for about four years now. Um, About a year into our relationship, I decided to ask Ryan to join me in a Sunday service. I was a little hesitant. Um, I do know that, you know, it's been some time since he's been in a church and um, spent some time with the Lord. I remember that first Sunday when she invited me to come. I was very nervous. Um, It has been a long time since I had been in a church, and I kind of didn't really remember what it felt to be like in a church around welcoming people. I had really drifted away from the Lord and I remember those years away from church I kind of was just floating through life not really giving a thought about much. I wasn't really going anywhere in life. Um, So that Sunday I decided to kind of take a leap and see what church was going to be like. So I came to River Glen and I remember walking into the big the big auditorium and I became even more nervous because growing up I grew up in a Catholic church that was very small and we had the pews and it was kind of a new experience to me and when the band started playing and that first song kind of started hitting me we started singing along I remember that ever since then it's this is my home now and I really enjoy coming here and meeting new people and just being welcomed and we really got into reading the Bible together every night and coming to church and worshiping. I think there was a piece of something, we didn't know what, but there was a piece that we were missing in our journey, walking with the Lord. And then that one Sunday, they started talking about uh, baptism in August, and we kind of looked at each other, and it kind of was that aha moment, like, this is the next step in our journey, like, we needed to do this together because we started this journey, and now we wanted to complete it. We knew, we just knew together that was the last piece that we needed to start the rest of our journey. We decided to get baptized in August, and it was the Saturday before the baptism, Sunday, and I was still kind of debating should I invite my parents because I knew they had been just as long away from the church as I had, maybe even longer. So I was like, well, I don't want them to say no and then kind of ruin how I felt about going into baptism or change how I felt. So that Saturday afternoon, I sent them both a text and I said, we're getting baptized on Sunday. We'd love for you to be there, but it's no pressure. It's 100% your decision. Our son sent us a text message and asked us if we wanted to come to his baptism. I was taken back for just a minute because I thought, wait a minute, you were already baptized. <laughs> but I thought, well, he's an adult, so if he wants to choose you know, a different path to go, I'm just glad that he's going to find his way to the Lord. So it didn't really matter to us where he got baptized. We were just really excited. And I think when Ryan, when Ryan first asked us, it was, it was an instant I was going to be there to support him. Right, yeah. um, wasn't really looking for anything coming to church. Well, we were excited to, to see Ryan and Veronica get baptized. That's what they wanted to do. We never, I mean, we never even discussed that this was gonna be something we wanted to look into for ourselves. It was go for that one weekend and support them and love them and then go out for breakfast and be done with it. But during the sermon, I looked over at Tom and we honestly thought Ben was talking just to us. Like the whole sermon was, and I won't forget it, it was about forgiveness. 
and we had gone through some really bad things with my family, and we were still really hurt from that, and I, honest to God, thought he was talking right to me. We both looked at each other, we both felt tears welling up in our eyes, and then to see the two of them walk up and get baptized, it was an overwhelming feeling that we just couldn't even describe. We got back in the car and we both kind of just sat there and looked at each other and we're like, we don't even know what to say. There, there's definitely someone that's with us now that hasn't been there for a lot of years or maybe he, he was there, I'm sure. We just weren't looking for him. It felt like God was right there, like saying, like, hey Tom, where have you been? And, you know, welcome back yeah. home. So yeah, I would agree. It was a real, it's like welcoming all the way and it's actually feeling God presence in a church was something I haven't felt before. Um, so just recently, probably the last two weeks, we talked about baptism. I think it's the next step. I think we're ready for it. Uh, um, being baptized as an infant, we didn't ask to be baptized, and we didn't make that decision on our own. I think that's the next step to making a commitment to Jesus to say, this is my decision mm -hmm. to follow you. Yeah, we've, a, we've chosen this path, and and we want to stay on it, and we want you to be part of our lives again. It was a pretty special moment to know that we kind of brought them back to the Lord, and the Lord used us to bring two people who were really struggling with their lives outside of church into a nice, warm, welcoming place. Isn't that a great story? Uh, yeah, let's give God a hand for that. That's awesome. And um, just last service, we baptized Tom and Maureen, and uh, we're really excited about, about that. And, you know, baptism helps you embrace your new identity. It's going to help you feel uh, your new identity. You're going to feel like, like God's son, uh, God's daughter, and you never know how your baptism might influence somebody else. You know, like it did in that story to find their way back to God. Maybe today is your day. I love what the Bible says in Acts chapter 22. It says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and uh, wash your sins away, calling on his name. And so who, who, who's ready to call on his name? Who's ready to get up and not wait any longer and be baptized? We got everything that you need. You know, we got some really cool shirts here. here, here here's what they look like. Yeah, we got lots of these shirts and all different sizes, and, and you get to keep it as a, as a memento of your day. And uh, we got these really GQ fashionable shorts here, all right? And we got all kinds of sizes and lots of shorts. We got hundreds of, of towels. We got all the undergarments that you uh, need. You say, well, what about my, my kids? Well, your kids are in kid life. You can just pick them up next week, all right? Don't worry about the kids. You say, what about my loved ones? You know, they're not here to see my uh, baptism. We're going to video your baptism and give you a copy. You can show your loved ones your baptism hundreds of times. We're also going to take a photograph. There's no good reason to not make this decision today. There's no good reason for you to, you know, walk out of here feeling guilty when Jesus came to forgive you. No good reason for you to, you know, walk out of here today feeling defeated when Jesus came to give you victory. No reason for you to leave here today walking around with an identity that says, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. When Jesus came to give you a new identity as God's child. You know, I, I can remember all the way back to my baptism. It was a long time ago. I was just a little kid. But I remember it like it was yesterday. I went to this church in Westalis, And at the end of the message, end of the sermon every week, the pastor would give an invitation uh, and, and we would sing what was called a hymn of invitation. And anybody that wanted to say yes to Jesus and anybody who wanted to be baptized could 
could uh, come forward during that uh, hymn of invitation. And I remember the exact day. I remember I was like in the second row, sitting or standing up during that song next to my parents. And uh, I had to muster up the courage, I remember. And I went forward and uh, publicly committed, you know, my life to following Jesus. And I got baptized. It was August 31st, 1975. Best decision I've ever made in my life. To this day, when I'm having a, you know, a bad day, I mean, I remember my baptism. It reminds me of my new identity as God's child. And, and today could be that day, that moment for you. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song together in a moment uh, called Set a Fire. And so would you go ahead, would you please stand uh, with me? And, uh, and if you want to get uh, baptized uh, today, during this song, uh, just make your way to an aisle and head to the lobby. And we got, you probably saw the table there. We got a whole team of people back there that are going to, they're going to help you. We've got secure changing areas, all the, you know, undergarments, and, and we'll have the baptism celebration in this service before you leave. We're ready for you, okay? You just need to find the courage to, to step out. You can come as an individual. Uh, you can come as a couple, as a, as a family. Uh, maybe some friends will come and, and support uh, each other when uh, Charity and the team Start this song, okay? Uh, that's your moment, all right? Head to uh, an aisle and, and go back to the uh, lobby. You say, well, I'm stuck in the middle of a section. Listen, you just knock those people down, all right? You go to the lobby, all right? You say, well, what are people going to think, you know, if I get, you know, baptized uh, publicly? They're going to think you're making the best decision of your life, and, and they're going to applaud like crazy and cheer just like the angels in heaven. And if you came today planning to be baptized, you just step out during this song and go to the lobby. This is your moment. Before we sing, I want to ask you, I want to invite you to repeat a statement of faith after me. If you uh, believe these words, okay, would you go ahead and repeat these out loud with me? Ready? I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I take him as my Lord and Savior. Listen, let me ask you one more time. If you believe that, what are you waiting for? You know, why put this off? Uh, be baptized. Call on his name today. Wash away your sins. Embrace your new identity. Let's do this. Let me pray for us before we sing. God, we ask you to move in our, in our hearts, move in this room, move in our lives to help us take our next step, finding our way back to you. God, thank you for the, the many people that have already submitted to baptism uh, this weekend. And I know there, there are people here who believe and have inwardly committed uh, to follow Jesus, but have yet to submit to baptism. Give them that extra courage right now. Move in their lives to help them take this important step to say yes to this command that Jesus gave to every follower. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.